You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like him. Our Bible reading today is from Titus chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards outsiders. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour. So that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. We're on. Okay. So, uh, yes, welcome to the the fourth talk in this series on Titus. Uh, And the the question before us, uh, what's so good about doing good? What's so good about doing good? It's a part of this series going through Titus cultivating core strength, or sorry, core strength, cultivating um, uncommon common godliness. Uh, and here we are, what's so good about doing good? Uh, because for the Christian life, doing good is one of the things that we organize our lives around. It's to be a part of our heartbeat. It's something that we are to be completely committed and devoted to. It says here in this passage twice uh, that we are to do good. It says in verse uh, 1, we're to be ready to do whatever is good. We're to be ready to do whatever is good. And then again in verse uh, uh, 8, it's even stronger. It says, and I want you to stress these things, Paul writing to Titus, so that those who have trusted in God, now listen very carefully, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Make sure that the people you're teaching to follow Christ, Titus, make sure they are careful to devote themselves to doing good. We need to keep on rehearing this right as Christians because and partly rightly, often we reduce solid Christianity to sound doctrine. Uh, The Christians who are on the money are the ones who cross the T, dot the I, when it comes to theology and doctrine and what the Bible teaches. But as we saw uh, last week, when again Paul was through Titus urging him to do good, Uh, He said, teach them to to do what is in accord with sound doctrine. And then he goes on to teach them how to live. If you want to be a doctrinally 
biblically uh, on-the-money Christian, it's all about the kind of discipleship that follows Christ by being deeply committed to doing good. Last week, it was good to one another within the church community. That's what it was focused on. The good that should typify a Christian community. This week, he turns to the outside world and Titus says, teach the Christians to do good to all people, to do good out there in the world, to do good in the society generally. Be ready to do whatever is good and teach them to be careful to devote themselves to doing good. Wouldn't devote yourselves to doing good uh, be enough? Wouldn't be careful to do good be enough? No, no, be careful to devote yourself to doing good. We can't walk away from this passage going, I don't know what to do. Uh, what Were we meant to be good people in the world like Christ? God, where was that written? No, it's so clear here. Emphasised. This, uh, this is a mark of true discipleship. It is stressed. And so goodness for the Christian, and remember the context here, in the world, in terms of our civic duties and responsibilities, Doing good in that context, in the workplace, in our sporting clubs, with our friends, with our, uh, among our neighbours, isn't meant to be a side project or a hobby. You know, I, I've got bonsai plants, I cultivate them, I, I love doing that, I'm really passionate about it. No, it's not like that. It's not, it's not a side project, a hobby, like, you know, over the abundance of my time and energy, you know, when I've got a bit of space, then I'll do good. Like, you know, I'm a, I do good, I sponsor a, a child through World Vision. That is good. That is good. But my friends, that's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. The way that we live in the world is through the lens of, I want to do good to people, for people in this world. When we look at the world and we look at our career prospects and our future, how do we view it? I want to be fulfilled. I want to pursue my dreams. Not necessarily bad. There's some wisdom in that. It's better to pursue your dream or your heart than to just be obliged to follow duty in some completely opposite direction. There's some wisdom in that, but no. The primary burden of the Christian heart is I've encountered love. I've seen how good it is. That's going to be the big idea of the passage tonight. I've encountered love, seen how good it is, and I want to share it. And I want others to see it. I'm here to serve. That's the Christian worldview. I'm here to serve, to do good to love you, to help you, to provide benefit. That's what I'm here to do. That is my heartbeat. That's where my energy is going to, to go into that project. Not just a, a side hobby, your Christian heartbeat. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It gives us a thumbnail sketch here of what it means. A, a very basic idea, a very basic posture to the world, right, here in verses 1 and 2, that would have been radically countercultural, especially, it is today, but especially in the first century. Listen to what it says. 
chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate. This is in the world. And always to be gentle, always to be gentle toward everyone. Now, in the first century, this is radical stuff. They had this thing called the imperial cult in the first century, and the idea was that whoever was ruling in Rome, you would, you would venerate them as if they were a god. You would literally, you would worship them as a god. You know, the Jewish worldview was that's abhorrent, uh, that's idol worship. We can't wait until, you know, on the back of all the promises in the Old Testament, God comes and vindicates his people and sets up his throne and everyone bows down to him. We can't wait for that day. And they're also lost out there. They're dark and they're pagans and it's evil. And now Paul is saying to Titus, teach them to honour whoever is ruling in Rome. Honour them. Make it easy for them to rule over you. Be obedient to them. Do whatever is good. In that Roman world at the time. And not in a two-faced way, not in a way that's like, you know, pleasing to the authorities to carry favour. No, no, but in a way that is genuine and sincere. Thus it says, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always gentle towards everyone. You know, the kind of person who's really polite to the boss, really respectful, but then as soon as the boss walks out the door, they join in all the gossip about how bad the boss is or what an idiot it is. Christians are not to be like this. It's got to be sincere from the heart, genuinely wanting to do good and, and be gentle towards everyone. Demonstrate that you're authentically seeking to love those in authority over you in the world. It's radical here in Australia right, to be like that. I mean, it's hard enough, uh, you know, like respecting Anthony Albanese, isn't it? Like, this is not our culture. Our culture is that all of our problems must be the fault of the politicians, right? They're evil idiots. Everyone knows that, right? That's how our culture is. Tall poppy syndrome does not respect authority, anti-authoritarian. That's how we are. That's the air we breathe. Christians are to be different. Just imagine if we had to worship Anthony Albanese, how bad it would be. And yet... And yet Paul says to us, teach them to be respectful and to be obedient and subject to them. That's to be the way the Christian walks. Now, when people in Australia, when people in this world look at Christians, when they see them in public or when they rub shoulders with them at work or hang out with them as their neighbour, when, when non-Christians hang out with Christians in this way, they should walk away surprised by how concerned you are for the world and how passionate you are that good is done, people are looked after. How concerned you are for the people who rule over us and the weight of responsibility they have on their shoulders. That's the impression you should leave 
with non-Christians out there. They should walk away from you and they should walk away from viewing Christians in a public square and they should go away thinking, wow, those Christians, they don't slander anyone. They're so peaceable and considerate. They're always gentle toward everyone. What's with those people? Not very wise. They're probably going to make themselves a doormat. But I kind of, there's something about them I admire. They're naive, but it's also wholesome and kind of attractive. And uh, why should we do, do this? Why should we be so devoted to doing what is good, always ready to do what is good? Well, it goes on in verses 3 to uh, 7 to explain the why. And first of all, it says, look there in verse uh, 3, at one time uh, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. You see... This is how the world outside of Christ and the grace that comes in him is. And what's good about doing good? Well, we've been rescued from this dysfunctional way of living. And you might say to yourself, as I've said to myself as I read this, wow, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? Is that really how it is for all people who are not Christians? At one time you were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Well, it is, it is at the extreme end of the description of what it means to be outside of Christ. But I, th I think it is, well, it must be bang on because it's God's word. But I, it does ring true to me, actually. At base, at the extreme edge, when it... When it really comes down to it, this is how we live outside of Christ. And why? Well, because we live in a dog-eat-dog -dog world. We live in a world where it actually is a competition. You have to work hard to achieve. If you end up falling off the ladder of life and you fall in a heap and you're left behind, people are left behind in our culture, people are left behind in our society. And what do we fundamentally think about such people? Well, they need to take responsibility. Yes, we can help them out, uh, and yes, we can be kind to them, but really they need to get back on their feet. That's how we say it, right? They, they need to get back on their feet. They need to learn how to function again. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. You have to earn your keep. It's like... Um, you know, Survivor, I don't know if you, you watch Survivor. Um, uh, one of our staff used to be totally mad about Survivor. I have never watched a full episode, but I think I get the gist. The idea seems to be right, that um, you're in these teams, you're in tribes, and you have all these um, test competitions against each other. And the idea is that you're the sole person left, right? You, you're, you're stranded on some sort of desert island, say, and you have to be the sole survivor to win the money at the end. And it's interesting, right? I mean, one strategy that is often employed is that you, you be nice. And some people go into the, to Survivor genuinely saying they just want to be nice and be kind and they don't want to sort of, you know, compromise their integrity or their, their morals, right? Or what they think is good. 
Uh, but at the end of the day, right, the whole way it's set up is when push comes to shove, if it's between you or I, you're on your own. At some point in that show, you have to be willing to throw someone else under the bus if you want to win. If you want to win in Survivor, at some point, you have to be willing to throw someone else under the bus. You have to be willing to elevate yourself above everyone else. You have to. If you don't do that, if you genuinely uh, work for the good of others, you will lose. You'll be trodden over. That's how our world is. It's one giant game of survivor. And as much as we do want to do good, we have that impulse, and as much as we can do good and we're capable of wonderful and good things, at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, if it's between you or I, you're on your own. It's the framing of our world and our existence. And here it's saying that we've been rescued from that way of living and we've entered into the kingdom of the son he loves and it's completely different. It's built on a completely different foundation to survival of the fittest dog eat dog, the most powerful wind. It's completely different relationships are set up in this kingdom as we'll go to see. And we need to work hard at doing what is good, coming out of the old way of living, because it's so easy to default to and to fall back into, isn't it? In small ways and in big ways. One time I was going uh, in my car somewhere. I had to get somewhere in a hurry. I was late. Um, but I really needed a coffee. I was feeling tired. I needed a bit of a pep up. So I thought, look, I'm running a little bit late, but I'll, I'll just duck into my local cafe in Cheltenham. That's near where I live. And I'll be really quick and, um, and hopefully I'll be able to make up the time on the road and it'll be all okay. So I, I raced in there, reverse parked. As I reverse parked, I bumped into the car behind me. And I thought to myself, just what I need. Um, and I thought, well, it's only a very gentle bump. Probably haven't done anything. I'll just jump out and get the coffee, not worry about it. Got out, got the coffee. Um, was pretty quick. I'm so, I think I can get this back on track, go back to the car. Then I thought, you know what, I really should check. I should check just in case I have dented that car. I checked. Ugh, worst thing ever to do. I had dented that car. I'd flip and dented it. But it wasn't very big. It was just a little dent. Like maybe a 50 cent piece sort of size dent in the front of the car. No paint was gone. That to me is the big test. Once the paint goes, no, that's bad. If there's no paint gone, it's just a dent. Well, it could have been hail. It could have been a shopping trolley. It could have been anything. That's, that happens all the time. This is not worth you know, worrying about, right? I justified myself, jumped in the car, drove off. And uh, but get this, right? Get this. I'm driving uh, to speak evangelistically at a church in Altona. They're having this outdoor evangelistic event. I'm going to speak there. And I'm thinking to myself, what are you doing? Like, how can you live with yourself, Stu? You're going to go and represent Christ, call people to repent and turn to be saved. And you're a hypocrite. This is a slippery slope. Next, you'll be embezzling funds from AFES. Or <laughs> what? Like, what's next? 
what's next after not leaving a note on a car? You are a horrible human being. And then I, I, um, I did business with God and I said, I'm, I, okay, that, I can't justify myself. That was a wrong thing to do. I'm really sorry, God, please forgive me. And God, if it, if it be your will, please uh, let that car be there on my way back home so I can leave a note on the windscreen, like I should have in the first place. And I went and did my thing, came back, and I went past that car, and it was still there. It was still there. Thanks be to God. So I, I, I wrote a note, and I put it on the windscreen, um, and the guy who owned the car rang me up and said, I can't believe you left the note on the windscreen. Thanks so much for doing that. And uh, I was like, of course, of course. I mean, that's, that's the kind of guy I am, right? Not like all those other people out there. Uh, and nothing happened, actually, after that. That was it. Nothing. He didn't follow up. He didn't worry about it. But he was just glad that I'd written a note on his car. And uh, that's, just a, that's just a little moment. But do you know what happened there in that moment? It was either him or it was me. That was going to be inconvenienced. One of us had to take a hit for this action. And it was my choice who was going to take the hit. And my knee-jerk reaction was, you. <laughs> you take the hit. And what I want to put to you is that is absolutely how we are wired as sinners to work. Happens all the time. We do good to others when it fits within our field of convenience. When there's more than enough for me to be happy, then I can give money to others. But we're not committed to doing good such that we're the ones inconvenienced by doing good for others. But that's precisely what God is calling us to do. That's what it means to be careful, to be devoted to doing good. That's what it means. For that to be your life's passions means that you will actually give up yourself for others. And they'll scratch their head and wonder why are you willing to be a doormat? Why are you willing to lose? Why are you being the nice guy that always comes last? Why do you, how naive, how stupid, how silly? But boy, you're gentle and you're kind. We're to be different. We've been rescued from that way of living, like a big game of Survivor, to live in a radically new way, Christian. It's good to do good, isn't it? It's good to be different. And then it goes on. Where's the motivation? Besides, it's just good to do good because it's a bad way. Well, it goes on, verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. 
here it's getting to the, 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 the deep heart or the, the deep motivation for doing good and why it's good to do good. Because look there in verse 5, this is the heart of it. His kindness and love appeared in verse 5. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Did you see how explicit that is? It's not because you're the smartest person on the island, not because you're the most wily or the strongest or the cleverest or the funniest or the most charismatic or the, the most wealthy, not because of the righteous things you've done, but because of mercy. And this is how God's kingdom works. It is a gift. It is based on love. It is based on God's desire to bless, not your ability to achieve and to work and to succeed and to attain. It's not based on that. Because of his mercy. And it, and, and it goes on. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And I need to speed things up here again. So let me just point out something here it's saying, which I think is really profound. It's saying here that we have been washed through rebirth and we have the renewal by the Holy Spirit. And you can see that and go, ah, this is the power to be careful, to be devoted to doing good. We've been renewed by the Holy Spirit. But in this context, it's not talking about what they call sanctification. That is the, the process of becoming more and more holy or God working in us by his spirit to become increasingly like Christ. It's not saying that here in this passage. It says it elsewhere, but not here in this passage. What's it saying? Well, it makes it clear what it's saying in verse 7. So that having been justified by grace, that is, washed by re rebirth, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. That's what renewal means in this context, is that we've been taken from being enemies of God and we've been made heirs of God, and something miraculous and completely counterintuitive has happened because of God's mercy. He's given us the hope of eternal life as people who have become heirs. Our status has changed, even though we don't deserve it, by God's mercy. Where is this best demonstrate, this renewal by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament? Where is it best demonstrated? It's best demonstrated, and this really strikes the heart of our motivation to be on about doing good. It's best demonstrated at Pentecost in Acts. What happens at Pentecost in Acts? Well, the unthinkable happens. A miracle happens. On ordinary, average sinners who have no capacity to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law, Now, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, the Holy Spirit descends on them. The Holy Spirit falls on them. And it's God coming down and dwelling in these crummy sinners as if they're little temples, as if they're little tabernacles. How is that possible? It's because Jesus has washed us. It's because God's love and mercy has been revealed in Christ such that we are completely cleaned up. We are comple our status has been completely changed by the finished work of Christ. And we know that the Holy Spirit dwells in each one of us. We know it because we look back to Pentecost and we can see 
a ragtag bunch of people who only have one thing in common. That is, they love Jesus as Lord and Saviour. That's it. That's all they've got going for them. And the Holy Spirit, in a clear, demonstrable, miraculous way, fell on them. And so it's also true for us. That's our guarantee. The New Testament calls it the deposit guaranteeing the inheritance. If God sees fit to dwell in you, even though you're a sinner because you're somehow now completely holy, then you can know that you have eternal life, right? You know that. If God's dwelling in you, you know that your future is secure. And so do you see what's happening here, big picture? The motivation for being careful to be devoted to doing good is that a new creation has begun. One that's built not on might is right, but one that is built on love and mercy. And it will win. It has already started to storm the fort. It has already broken into this creation at Pentecost. And God has declared, these sinners are my people and they are part of the new creation which is coming. And now it's saying, meditate on these things, right? Meditate on these things so that you can be a part of witnessing to this new kingdom which is coming and which will win. You will lose. If you're careful to devote yourself to doing good, if your heart beating in this life as it ought to be as a disciple really is about just doing good out there, you will lose. You will lose. But it'll make people sit up and think. They go, what's going on here? Can't they see what everyone else can see? Can't they, can't they see this is a, a big, massive, giant game of survival? Can't they see? Why are they so willing to lose for the sake of helping other people? Because Christians are a part of a new kingdom based on completely different rules, and it wins. It wins. Pentecost is the beginning of the end. The renewal that comes by the Spirit, it's already started. We've seen it visibly in history. Love wins, as they say. Love wins. And so Titus uh, lands it here by saying, you know, once you've got this gospel truth, uh, then verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. A trustworthy saying. That's what drives this passion to do good. Let me tell you another story about a person who was inconvenienced. Um, this was a guy um, who I know who uh, last year uh, went to the airport to go to a, a conference um, in Sydney. Uh, and he'd packed his bags, he'd checked his, his luggage in. It was all done. He was just waiting there, uh, you know, at the boarding lounge. Nearly time to go, and he gets a, a message from his housemate that uh, his, his, his housemate is COVID positive, just a positive for COVID. There he is, about to get on the plane, looking forward to this conference, going, with, going there to join friends, 
just about to get on the plane. He's fine. He hasn't got COVID. He doesn't feel sick. Just got the message. What does he do? What would I do? Well, based on my story with the car and the coffee, I probably would have just slipped that phone away. (laughs) Nothing to see here. This guy gets up and talks to the people in the terminal. He says, my flatmate, you know, my housemate's just tested positive. Can I travel? What about the baggage? He does the right thing. Massively inconvenienced personally, could easily have turned a blind eye. I reckon 99% of people would have just turned a blind eye. Who'd want to give up this trip that you're really looking forward to? He probably is going to be fine anyway. But he's committed to doing good. He's a disciple of Christ. He lives, he marches to the beat of a different drum. And this person, great reveal here, is Matt the Apprentice. He's the guy who did this. He did the right thing. He did the noble thing. And when I heard this story, I thought to myself, the apprentice has become the master. (laughs) My days are numbered. (laughs) People of better character are coming through the ranks. Step aside. But that's that's just a silly little story, right? But that's just just the, 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 the tip of the iceberg, right? That's how Christians are in the world. Eager to do whatever is good. Thanks. I'm in. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.